0: I have the privilege of leading University Baptist here on Sunday mornings. I'm honored to step in for Mike tonight. We're going to be taking a break from the Joseph narrative. He will finish that story next week, so if you want to read ahead, you can. Um, But tonight, I will be picking up in the Gospel of Matthew um, from chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting at us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, Is it not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs? She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I kept thinking about this text this week and struggling with it. It's a text that paints Jesus in a particularly unflattering light. Jesus does not look good in this passage. The folks from the Jesus seminar say it's proof that this actually happened, because why else would you include it in Scripture? And so as I was thinking about this story and this Canaanite woman, the thing I kept coming back to was a speech that was made in 1851 at a women's convention called, Ain't I a Woman? Sojourner Truth, nearly a decade before the Civil War, proclaimed that she was just as much a woman as anyone else, including white women. She pointed out that she could labor like a man, that she too had borne children. But my favorite part of her speech is towards the end, where she talks about women being responsible for the fall, blaming Eve for all the sin that had entered the world. And instead of saying, that's bad theology— <laughs> or saying there's a different way to read that text. Instead, she says, if women broke the world, then don't we deserve a chance to fix it? That's the kind of audacious and bold claim that the Canaanite woman is making here. She's labeled such because she is other. She is foreign. She has had her land conquered, and still she is known only as her identity, Canaanite. We never learn her name. You could sub in, perhaps, Native American woman or Palestinian woman. She's known only by this national identity. And it's funny that Jesus would limit his ministry from her because Matthew is the gospel that gives us the genealogy of Jesus. It lists out at the very beginning all of these names that Jesus comes from. And there are three Canaanite women in his lineage. Rahab, Tamar, and Ruth. And so Jesus literally would not exist without Canaanite women. And here he is saying he has not come for them. Verse 26 is just a doozy. He answers her, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. He calls her a dog. And I mean the female slur starts with a B, rhymes with glitch, okay? Are we we all got it? That's the word Jesus uses. Can you imagine Savior of the universe calling somebody like that? I'm uncomfortable. I don't like that he said it at all. I read these commentaries, and they were like, well, maybe, maybe Jesus was just testing her. And I'm like, that, that still feels terrible to be on the receiving end of, of that slur. There are others who say, well, you could technically say that this was a little dog. He calls her a little dog. And I'm like, a little? That, that does not help me. The word is still there. That does not soften the blow. I think it rather points to the fact that, that we want Shiny Jesus, happy Jesus, perfect Jesus, meek and mild Jesus. And what we get here is real Jesus. Jesus who may be impacted by the world that he lives in. Jesus fully divine, but also fully human. The culture has perhaps rubbed off on him just a little bit. And it's ironic because if you back up in the text... Just before this, Jesus is lecturing the Pharisees about things that defile, and he's pretty vivid in his imagery here as well. Jesus says to them, are you still also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes in the mouth enters the stomach and goes into the sewer? But whatever comes out from the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. By Jesus' own definition, he has defiled. He has said this word out of his heart. What are we supposed to do with that? As I thought about this, I kept thinking about something that was taught to me in diversity, equity, and inclusion training, DEI for short. And it is that everyone has biases, we all do. It's just part of growing up. And so whether they came from your family or the music you listened to or the media you consumed, there's a certain way you think about things. For me, sometimes I still struggle with judging the way other women I was raised very conservative, modest as hottest kind of culture, if you know what I mean, okay? <laughs> and so sometimes when I see a woman wearing scantily clad clothes, as we would say in my family, I have a judgment, a snap judgment. But DEI training says it's not about your first thought. It's about your second thought and your first action. And so whenever now I see a woman in that old gear strikes in my head. I go, that was the first thought. Good for her, not for me. Good for her, not for me. It's totally okay, and I don't need to say anything, right? And I wonder, perhaps, if the Savior of the universe is modeling this for us, because here Jesus has a first thought that he just lets rise out of himself. I only came for the children of Israel, And he uses this slur. And then this woman enters this debate with him. She says the same thing that Peter says when he's sinking after trying to walk on water. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And she does what Sojourner Truth is. Instead of saying, how dare you call me that word? She goes through it. Because it's probably something she's heard her entire life. The Israelites regularly routinely refer to canaanites this way and so she says fine say what you're gonna say but still even yet my daughter is worthy of this and then we have the second thing jesus says woman great is your faith and the first thing he does which is to heal her daughter from afar i think the beauty of this passage is that perhaps even Jesus has to have his barriers broken down. Perhaps even Jesus has to be challenged and pushed to truly understand how expansive the salvation of God is. It knows no barrier, no boundary, no type of person. I'm reminded of the southern saying that we have, y'all means all, right? Right? And it's taken on as a marker of inclusivity. And I think that's what Jesus is learning here, that the gospel means all, everybody. As I examine this passage, the other thing that strikes me about it is just this woman who gets labeled as having a great faith. I think when we hear the phrase great faith, we think about spiritual giants, right? We, we think about Mother Teresa, or we think about Corrie ten Boom, who, surra- who survived the Holocaust. We think, we think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who resisted when the Nazis took over. We think about these spiritual giants as having great faith, as saving all of these people, of, of helping cure poverty and disease in the world. And yet Jesus, when he applies the term great faith, he applies it to a woman, and the only thing she does is believe in her belovedness and the worthiness of her and her daughter with her whole heart. I think today, perhaps the most radical thing we could do is to embrace our own belovedness, to believe with our whole heart that we are indeed worthy of the grace of God. And so are our children and our neighbors and our families. How could we transform the world? What would we argue with God about if we had the audacity to believe in belovedness? I hope this week you will attempt that belief. Join me in prayer. God of love, we thank you for scripture that makes us uncomfortable, for words that challenge us, and for the ability to learn something new. We ask that your spirit would be made manifest that's among us now, that we would feel your presence as we come to the table to partake in the communion that is for all people, by the good and gracious love of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we prepare to have communion together, I will remind you that Ecclesia practices an open table, which means if you are here, you are welcome to partake. Or remind us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room, and he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup, and pouring out the wine, he said, This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of many. Drink this in remembrance.